Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 303, where we interview John Lalonde and talk about mortgages, lending, and real estate investing. It, it depends what your goals are. So there's primarily, there's two different types of lenders, right? You've got your um, residential mortgage lenders. They have three different occupancy types, typically, right? You've got your primary residence, you've got your second home, and you've got your investment property. So those types of lenders are going to be backed by agencies such as Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Ginny Mae, um, and Ginny Mae does all the government loans, FHA, VA. Um, Fannie and Freddie are doing your, your standard conventional loans, all of your um, you can do a primary residence with them, you can do a second home, or you can do an investment property. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen, and with me today is David Hip Hip Hooray. I never should have told you that. <laughs> it's funny because you're such a tough guy. David and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, to introduce you to every money story, because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big-time investments in assets like real estate, or start your own businesses, we will help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so that you can launch yourself towards your dreams. David, I'm so excited for today's guest. It is John Lalonde, who used to be my go-to lender until he left. He decided that he wasn't going to be in lending anymore, but that doesn't mean that all of the information that he's had for years of being a lender has just suddenly left his brain. So he is joining us today to talk about lending and how to set yourself up to be approved for the most money to be ha- have a like a smooth experience with your lender. Um, in today's market, you really need to be able to act fast in order to be able to close. Um, what I'm seeing when I'm making offers is that it's not necessarily the highest offer that gets accepted. It is the one that can close quickly, the one that can is most assured to close. And you know, saving 50 cents a month on your payment isn't the same as having a lender that can close for sure as quick as possible. Yeah. John, aside from being not only the world's okayest recondo, uh, Marine Corps recon reconnaissance veteran, which I tried to get you to say, but you skipped over in my intro that I wrote out because, you know, <laughs> I'll offend him. But uh, no, so John and I are are I guess you could say borderline besties, right? I mean, he lived in a room in in my house for a year during the pandemic in San Diego. He, both of our spouses lived out of out of state, and so he put a got he rented out the room on the bottom floor of my house. So we were, you know, worked out together, lived together, whatever. I got to witness him getting his MLO license for his entire first year, year and a half. He was crushing loans. I mean, he was my go-to guy for anything in California uh, and he was phenomenal at it. And then he was also really good at other investing and found that to be a little bit more enjoyable and a little bit less time consuming. And so he kind of moved more towards that route, but John's just a, just an awesome dude. One of my favorite people. And it's, it's fun to get him on the show and and hang out and talk. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. 
As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, get paid first. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of the physical asset provide additional security in case of borrower default. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by redirecting your funds from Wall Street to Main Street, supporting local economies, and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors, but if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Take control of your investments and secure a stable 8% annual return today. Visit pinefinancialgroup.com biggerpockets to learn more about the fund. That's pinefinancialgroup.com biggerpockets. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. Yeah, he has a really great money story, apparently, which I didn't realize until after we were done with this whole conversation. So John is definitely going to be back on the show in the future to tell us how he's able to save something like 70% of his income living in a high cost of living area. So that'll be a lot of fun. John Lalonde was a former recon Marine. He was my go-to lender for several years until he left me to go do real estate investing. So John, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. It's super exciting to Thanks. actually see you in real life for the first time. You were at the BPCon in, um, where was it? New Orleans. And I got COVID five minutes before I was supposed to get on a plane to come down. So I didn't actually get to meet you in real life. At some point we'll connect in real life. I was going to say, I don't I'm feel so like this is real life. <laughs> I didn't think this was real life either. We're, we're still virtual, Mindy. Okay, fine. <laughs> it's nice to look life. at you on a computer screen. COVID real life. It's nice to see you too, Mindy. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your support. <laughs> Thank you both for your support on being on my show today, because I have a lot of questions about lending, and David doesn't know anything, so I thought I'd talk to John. John, brain dump. Tell me everything you know. Everything I know. Okay. <laughs> it's no. a very short uh, podcast. There's a lot of confusion 
Yeah. <laughs> Shush. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to make everybody turn it off before they even get started. So there's a lot of confusion in having getting a loan. Even if you bought a house a few years ago, things have changed. It seems like things are always changing, almost like as soon as you know the rules, they change them on purpose just to keep you on your toes. Um, so Maybe. It used to be you just, you know, you gathered your W-2s and your check stubs and you gave them to your lender and blam, you got a loan. And now there's a lot more involved. So let's play pretend. Pretend I need a loan. What can I do to make myself the most attractive to a lender so that they give me lots and lots of money? Hmm. Okay. So there's really, it, it depends what your goals are. So there's primarily, there's two different types of lenders, right? You've got your um, residential mortgage lenders. They have three different occupancy types, typically, right? You've got your primary residence, you've got your second home, and you've got your investment property. So those types of lenders are going to be backed by agencies such as Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Ginny Mae, um, and Ginny Mae does all the government loans, FHA, VA. Um, Fannie and Freddie are doing your, your standard conventional loans, all of your, um, you can do a primary residence with them, you can do a second home, or you can do an investment property. So we'll talk about that first. They're primarily going to be looking for a couple of things. Now, when I talk about residential mortgage lenders, they all have generally the same guidelines. Some companies have something called overlays. So an overlay is, is exactly what it sounds like. It's an additional guideline that comes with on top of the Fannie, Freddie, Ginny, Ginny Mae. It's an additional guideline to kind of make their criteria a little bit more strict. So generally what you're going to be looking for um, on a Fannie, Freddie product or any sort of agency product is stable income and good credit. Those are those are two of the really like really the things that you're going to be looking for. So um, what does that mean for self-employed borrowers? And that's what we call them in the mortgage world. We've called borrowers. So self, for self-employed borrowers um, with any sort of Fannie, Freddie or any sort of agency backed loan, they're going to want a two year history because they want to show that, you know, let's say you have one year of you know, one year history and you were in a field, um, you were selling ventilators, for example, in 2020. Well, you had a pretty good year in 2020 selling ventilators. Um, does that mean that you're always going to have a, you know, say you made a million dollars in 2020 selling, selling ventilators. Does that mean that you're always going to have a million dollar year? Probably not. You probably, we probably won't need ventilators for hopefully let's knock on wood um, for the next five years. Right. Let's hope that that dies down. So an underwriter is not going to look as much as like, okay, well, what type of job is it? Um, are you going to, are you going to continue with that income? They're going to want to see st stability there. So for self-employed, the, the, one of the best things you can do is you have that two years of history and they're going to even it out. So they're going to average the, the two years of income. Um, what they don't want to see is they don't want to see an incline. So um, I know you might have mentioned I'm not actually uh, a mortgage lender anymore. So the guidelines could, could have changed, but um, typically they don't want to see more than a 20% decline in income from from the two years. So if your incomes if your income's declining, then they're probably going to wonder why, right? They're going to ask you questions, maybe you have to write a letter of explanation saying, "Hey, this is why my income's declining," and they might just use the lower of the two instead of averaging it. So, um, that especially, you know, that applies just for example, we're looking for stable income. So when you're self-employed and you're looking for, a, you know, an agency finance Typically, if you're looking for a primary residence or a second home, um, there were recently some pretty crazy changes with the interest rates for second homes. My theory is uh, the big agencies don't want people buying second homes because they're realizing they're risky. Um, a lot of people have been buying them lately, making them Airbnbs. Um, they don't have any income. They're just second homes. So 
what are people likely not going to pay for when they lose their income, right? Their second home. They're going to keep their mortgage. Everybody wants to keep a roof over their family's head, but a second home, maybe they let that go. So the agencies have tightened up a lot on on the second home. They put um, something called loan level pricing adjustments, which is just an adjustment to your rate. They're going to make it more expensive for you to get that loan. So anyway, I know that's a lot of information just for just for your self-employed borrowers. But for your self-employed, they're going to want to see reserves and they're going to want to see stable income. Right. So a lot of people are like, well, what if I don't have the stable income or what if I just started my business? Well, if you're trying to buy a primary residence, it's it's going to be tough. Um, but you can also look into something called a DSCR loan, a debt service coverage ratio. If you're looking for an investment, they're basically lending against the asset instead of your personal income. So those that's a great option for people um, to ask your lender about if they if you don't have you know sufficient income and and you want to get a DSCR loan. Yes, Mindy. I can't tell. It looks like you're raising your hand. I am raising my <laughs> hand. Can you get a DSCR loan for you to live in or is that just for an investment property? I can't see any reason that, no, that you wouldn't be able to get a DSCR loan. I, I'm not 100% on that, but I've never seen anyone get a DSCR loan for you to live in because how would you pay your, what income's coming in if you're living in the property? What I don't know is I don't know if you'd be able to get one for maybe a multifamily property um, if the property was generating enough income to, to make sense. Uh, I, I honestly don't know the answer to that, okay. but I know they're primarily for investment properties. So uh, just to kind of drive this point home, as as John actually did a mortgage for myself, uh, I left the military and was in this exact spot where I have, I'm self-employed, I make a decent amount of income, and none of it shows on tax returns because it has either hasn't been around long enough or I wrote stuff off or whatever. And I ultimately ended up having to do, we did a 5% conventional and I had to gift my wife the down payment via, you know, the fancy gift letter. And then she bought the house without me on the mortgage at all because my personal finances were essentially dragging us in the hole, even though ironically in a gross sum, I make more money, but it doesn't show. And so it, David has a good CPA. <laughs> so it, it works out. Uh, but there was one other thing you mentioned that I wanted to touch on real quick before we moved on the overlays piece. And, and you, mm-hmm. you said it and you said it all smooth and everything was great, but I don't know that people realize how important that is to understand. And we'll just use as a super brief explanation, like something with the VA loan, the VA loan, the guideline has no minimum credit score. There is no requirement whatsoever. Every lender and their mother has a credit score requirement. Most are probably like 620, but I've seen some 580. I ran into a guy online the other day who got approved for a loan with a 570. Um, So it's important to understand that an overlay, if a lender tells you no, or you're not qualified because of such and such, you want to make sure that you understand if that's an overlay or an actual guideline from the lending side, because it's quite possible that you could say, oh, okay, and then go to another lender and they tell you yes. And so it's it's valuable to understand the difference just so you know if, if you're being told by that bank, no, or if you're being told by the you know actual powers that be, no. Oh, so how would I ask my lender that? Yeah, that's a great question. I was, and I was just thinking about that. Typically, a lender is not going to tell you, um, like your loan officer is not going to say, oh, hey, this is an overlay. If you go somewhere else, they'll, they might be able to do it. So that would be kind of tough. But what you can always do is if it's an agency loan, Fannie, Freddie, Jenny May, 
you could always, I should also include our friend USDA, uh, like the USDA loans, which I think are, are under uh, Jenny May. So you could always go and Google the guidelines. And a lot of people don't know this and it throws lenders for a surprise when their clients come to them and they go, actually, I Googled this guideline and uh, this is this is what the guideline actually says. So if you look, if you go on Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, um, Jenny, you go on any of their websites and, you know, many, I'm sure you could put it in the show notes uh, so everyone could go back and, and look at it if they want to. You can Google the actual guidelines and then you can see, okay, is this something that's in the guidelines or is it something that my lender is making an overlay? For example, VA loans with the with the credit score. If a, if a lender comes back and says, hey, your credit score is uh, 600 um, and you're not getting approved for the loan, well, and you say, is that, a, is that an overlay? Then they might say, no, <laughs> go back, look at the guideline and you'll be able to get get a straight answer from there, which means you can go to another residential mortgage lender. Now, a lot of people make the mistake, and Mindy, we spoke about this before, and I believe you posted it in the Facebook group, where they will they get the advice, just call a million different lenders until somebody tells you yes. Great. That's great. However, if it's an agency guideline, um, for example, let's say let me think of one that would be that would apply. If it's an agency guideline, let's just use the example for self-employed uh, for self-employed borrowers. Let's say that you know we're lo- they're looking for a two-year average, and that's the guidelines are pretty clear. You're looking for a two-year average. If it's an agency guideline, and you go to fifty different lenders, they're all going to fifty different residential mortgage lenders that work for a mortgage company that are selling their loans to Fannie and Freddie. They're all going to tell you the exact same thing. They're all going to tell you that you're we need to average your income over two years. Um, and so for something like that, you can call 50 different lenders. It's not going to matter. So then it, you would have to go to a different lending type. So that's where you could go to a portfolio lender or a local bank, somebody that has flexibility with their own guidelines. They're not they're not selling their loans to Fannie and Freddie. So they're able to give you a lot more options. So I remember people really attacking that Facebook post because they didn't really understand the point of it. Um, yes, some lenders have overlays. Yes, some lenders, underwriters can either miss, they can miss things. That happens. Underwriters are human. So they miss things every once in a while. Um, some are a little bit more lenient, a little bit. Um, but if it's a if it's a if it's a general like Fannie Mae Freddie Freddie guideline, they're going to tell you the same thing. So it's important to really know is this a guideline or is my or is the company being strict? And if it is a guideline and you're just not able to, f- to meet that, then go to a different lending type. Go to a portfolio lender or go to, you know, a local bank. Um, somebody that has a lot more options, right? So can you define what a portfolio lender is just for people who are listening who may not know? Yeah. So a portfolio lender, um, the big difference is they're not going to be selling. They have their own loan products. They're not going to be selling them to Fannie, Freddie um, or Jenny. They, they, a lot of times they'll have the options to do those loans. Um, at least sometimes they, they will, but they typically uh, have their own, their, their own guidelines. They're going to underwrite it. So um, Dave and I own a good bit of property. We use portfolio loans on, I believe everything we own is under portfolio loans and the terms are crazy. So if you look at, <clears throat> it, it, it's been a minute. So I believe a, a max cash out refinance, um, is typically 75% on an investment property. Um, but our lender, uh, the portfolio loan, um, he was able to give us 85%. And no balloon, like some some really crazy terms, because he trusts us. He sees our um, our competence. He looks at he looks at our P and Ls. He looks at um, our personal financial statements, which is something that they typically won't ask you for in, in residential mortgage lending. They're not they don't care what your personal financial statement looks like. They they want to underwrite it to the to the Fannie and Freddie guidelines. So 
um, portfolio lenders just they have other options and they're going to look at different things. They're 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 underwriting the risk in a different way. So how do I find a portfolio lender? Ooh, there's an app. Um, and actually, David gave me this app. Let me look if I can look on my phone. There's an app for that. There's an app for it. There's an app. I see. Okay. No, you, oh, okay. Are you even old enough to remember this ad? There's an app for that. There's an app for that. That's, yeah, if you, yeah, you have to if, say the exact right word. So if you, you go in the app store, enough. look up local community bank or community bank locator, it the, it shows up as ICBA. I've never figured out why it's an I instead of an L, but whatever. Uh, and yeah, it literally just opens as a zip code and you type in the zip code and it pops up all kinds of local lenders in your area. <gasps> ICBA. That's awesome. Another kind of more intricate hack for people that are um, really good with data and maybe really good with pulling data and skip tracing, like the real estate investors that are listening to this podcast. Uh, one of the things that we did recently, because we're trying to establish a good relationship with a local bank for a lot of our flips, um, is we pulled a list of all of the home sales that were bought in the last uh, 12 months. And then we looked at who the who the lenders are going to be. Um, used for commercial loans. And so you could filter all that if you go through list source and you can see who's being used the most and you can call them and find out, you know, that's typically who all the investors are working with. Um, if you pull a list of all the commercial loans that have closed on residential properties um, in the last in the last 12 months, you can see you just filter in Excel by the, the most common name and you can call them. Great hack if you uh, if you're good with data. Okay, let's get back to residential lending because I think that most people are interested in the residential lending. Okay. Why does my credit score, when you pull my credit score, why is that different than when I go to Credit Karma? <laughs> so there's a reason that Credit Karma is free. I love telling people this. It always surprises me. Um, credit Karma gives you an estimate of what your credit score is, but really with that app, like, if you look at how much credit karma, how much income they bring, I bet it's a good bit because what they're really doing is they're selling your data to credit card companies, to mortgage companies. That's why they exist. And they're able to give you kind of a round number of what your actual credit score is, but it's not a real credit score. It's just an estimate. I've seen credit scores um, from, you know, what people tell me their credit, credit karma is I've seen them off up to 80 points. Really? So that yeah, much it's, it can be pretty significant. Yeah. So um, they don't have a full history of your, of your entire credit. It's it's not going to be accurate. So if you are looking at your score, um, you know, Credit Karma can give you can a lot of times it'll be a good indicator. Um, 20 points hit or miss a lot of times. But don't be don't fight your lender and say, hey, my Credit Karma says that I have a 720 and you're telling me I have a 690. Um, they're right. They pulled your score. <laughs> That's what it is. So I think at that point, your best your best option is to ask them if they can run something called a credit simulator and see what kind of debt you can pay down, um, if any, to help improve your score. Because there's some things you can do immediately that will help improve your score overnight. Um, and you can do what's called a rescore. So if you have if you have bad credit, maybe for like the the most common is overutilization. So if you're if you're utilizing you know, 90% of your credit limit, a lot of times if you just pay it down to 20%, um, maybe 30%, then you'll see an improvement overnight. And all you need to do is send that to the bureaus and your lender can do this for you. Most times they can send it to the bureaus and the bureaus will come back and say, all right, here's your updated credit score. Um, I don't know if all lenders have the ability to do that, but I know the company that I used to work for, they, they were really good about that and they can get your credit score changed overnight. I'd be willing to bet they have the ability. 
and it's just a matter of whether or not they're if a they'll lazy it, yeah. lender. Some, yeah, but you know, I mean, now everybody knows that that's an option that you might be able to improve your credit score overnight by doing something called a credit simulator or a rescore. I've never heard this, and I've. I, I feel like a snob for saying this, but I've never needed it mm-hmm. because my parents gifted me their credit score when I was 17. I graduated from high school. They said, well, now that you're out of high school, you can have a credit card. So they opened up a credit card for me in their, well, I was a signer. Yeah. And then their amazing credit score transferred to me when I turned 18. So I've had an 800 plus credit score my whole life. Yeah. you can. You can give- but I didn't know that you could do this. This is amazing. So holy cow, I just marked this and I'm going to make that a whole little clip that I'm going to put on social media because that's amazing. That is a fabulous tip. Another thing that you know a lot of people will run into is accounts that are in collections and they believe that if they pay them off, um, then they'll go away. But that a lot of times that's not the case. Sometimes that can actually make your score worse. And so I say a lot of times, so um, take it with a grain of salt. But what you can do is you can reach out to them and you can say, hey, I have these, this account in collections. It's got $20,000. If I, if I pay it, will you give me a deletion letter? And if they give you a deletion letter, that you can bring that back to your lender. And that means that's wiped off your account. Now, you have a little bit of leverage here because you owe this company money and they want their money. So if you pay it off, you're probably not going to get that deletion letter. Why would they help you? They're already, they're already good. Why, wait, why waste their time? Now, I will say that there's you know a couple of times that I've seen where the company won't give them a deletion letter. They're like, you can pay it off, but we're not going to give you a deletion letter, even if it's a small amount. And I, un- I honestly don't understand why they're getting money for the company. I'm thinking it's just a lazy employee that works for the company, and that's why they're not doing that. But something else you can do if you've got an account in collections is you can say, hey, you can call the whoever, the, whoever owns that account and say, hey, um, you know, I've got this, this Account and collections, if I pay this off, will you give me a deletion letter and, and then you can improve your score right away? Do you have any other tips for improving your score? Um, I mean, the the basics that a lot of people, you know, are already probably know, but try to keep your utilization around 10%. Um, don't, don't take out loans and then pay them off immediately. Some people think that that helps. It, it doesn't. It doesn't look good on your on your credit if you you know take out a huge loan and then pay it off immediately. Um, you want to actually have utilization. If you keep it under ten percent, even better. Um, long history helps. Don't make any late payments. <laughs> um, that should be an obvious one, but late payments really hurt your credit score. Um, so so yeah, those are those are just a couple of them that that I've seen. Typically, when I'm when I'm running a credit simulator, when I've ran them in the past. What I'll what I'll try to do first is I look at the utilization and I, I put it all at about nine percent because I'm looking to save the client the most money and be able to improve their score the most. So I'll put all their utilizations at about nine percent. I've I've seen that to help the most, and then I will I will then look at collections accounts. Okay, what happens if I move remove some of these collections uh, collections accounts? And you know a lot of times that will help. And then there's credit repair companies. You want to make sure you vet them because not all of them are that good. Um, but credit repair companies can also really help your score. Typically takes about six months. Oh, six months. Okay. Um, what, mm-hmm. what is a good score? What is a mediocre score and what's a bad score? 
<laughs> so I love when I see people online and they're saying, um, I have an 850 credit score. I'm so much better than you. It's like, okay, cool. That doesn't do anything for you at all other than boost your ego, which is awesome. But if you already have a giant ego like me, if you have anything over 740, then you're completely solid. So um, as far as at least the agency guidelines, if you're over a 740, there's that, that thing I told you earlier called a loan level price adjustment. Um, at least for the company that I work for, if you have over a 740, there's zero loan level pricing adjustments. So you could have the 740, 741, 850, it doesn't matter. You're going to have the exact same interest rate as long as you're over a 740. So I would always shoot for, you know, hey, try to get a 740. If you have an 850, maybe use your credit a little bit more. Take out some more loans. I know um, some people are against that, but money can work for you pretty well if you use it right. So there's no really there's really no benefit of having over an 800. I've never seen one. Um, I never have worked in the auto spa financing space, but um, from what I've seen, I guess with some personal stuff, I've never seen any, any benefit for having um, over a 740 in the, in the auto space as well. Um, and then maybe, and then the personal loan, um, I don't have a ton of experience with that, but I'd imagine it's probably pretty similar. Now, if you're looking for government loans, um, 640 is actually, at least at the company that I worked for, if you have over a 640, there's no loan level pricing adjustments. So, um, if your rate was 2.75 and you have a 641, it doesn't matter if you have an 850 credit score, your loan's still going to be at a 2.75 and those rates don't exist anymore, but, <laughs> but, uh, but just something to take into consideration. So I want to correct you really quick. You said 640. Did you mean 740? Nope. You can go down to 640 credit score and still have no loan level pricing adjustments. Pricing adjustments for, yeah, for VA loans. That's how, uh, oh, that, those were our VA loans. For, okay. I missed VA. the VA for government. Price. Yeah. 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 Sorry for I should definitely clarify. So for VA loans, that was, um, that was our guideline. I think it was at the time it was VA and USDA. Um, I do believe that FHA had, uh, it was a 680, um, and then there was no LLPAs for 680. So that's why a lot of times when people come to me, they're like, Hey, I want to do it three and a half percent down FHA loan because it's the best loan. And um, I'm a first time home buyer. Well, not necessarily. So if you have bad credit um, or the, your credit's you know under a 680 um, and every every lender has different loan level pricing adjustments. So you'd want to talk to your actual lender about this. But if you have lower a lower credit score and you're going higher on what's called your debt to income ratio, which we haven't even talked about, but that's 100% how residential loans are qualified called a debt to income ratio. I could explain that a little bit later. Um, but if you do have, if you have bad credit and you need to go higher on your debt to income ratio, maybe you're trying to buy more house then an FHA loan could be a great option for three and a half percent down. You'll have better rates. However, conventional loans, you have a lot of times for first time home buyers, they have 3% down options and the PMI is actually a little bit less, the private mortgage insurance. So um, that can be a better option for people that maybe they want to put 3% down. Um, they have good income and they want, you know, and they want to benefit from the lower, the actual lower monthly payment. So a lot of times the conventional 3% down, if you have good credit can be a better option for you. Okay. I am hogging you, David, you're welcome to ask questions, but not right now. Cause I have more. So you said you just mentioned private mortgage insurance and you mentioned 3% down for a conventional loan for first time home buyers. Mm -hmm. Is that only available one time or can I use a 3% down again? It, it really is because, you know, like a lot of times, you know, FHA loans are supposed to be for first time home buyers. There's a, there's a, there was a time period um, that you had to wait while I was in in order to qualify. And I believe for the conventional, you actually had to do like a course online um, to, to qualify for the 3% down. 
Um, there was a time limit and I want to say it was seven years, but don't quote me on that. Um, definitely that would be something to reach out to your lender about. Okay. And then let's talk about MIP and PMI, which is the same, but different, because I think a lot of people don't recognize that this change. Yeah. The upfront mortgage. Yeah. Yeah. Just the upfront mortgage insurance premium and then the PMI. So, um, the funny part is about PMI is a lot of people think that it protects them in some way. It doesn't protect you in any way. The bank is still going to take your house if you don't pay them. Um, basically, oh, I'm what sorry. they're looking Stop. at. Stop. Say that again. Slower. The bank is still going to take your house slower if you don't pay them. <laughs> Always. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> the, reason that, the reason that there's something called private mortgage insurance is if you're a bank, right, and, and you're going to lend money to people. Well, if someone puts 20% down, so they've got some. They've got twenty percent um, equity at the very minimum, assuming no market changes. Then, if the bank has to take that house back, then they at least can make a little bit of money if they sell it at market value. Or if the market dips, they're at least covered, right? That if the market dips twenty percent, um, they're at least covered that they can sell that house and they can break even, right? Now, what happens if the bank has loaned you, has lent you ninety seven percent of the value of the home? The market takes a hit at you know, 20%, um, which it did a lot of markets in 2008, and you stop paying your mortgage, what happens then? They lose money, and they don't like losing money. They like to make money. So that's why they have that private mortgage insurance. It helps mitigate some of their risk. It doesn't protect you in any way. So if your lender ever tries to sell you private mortgage insurance, and you are not, you're putting more than 20% down, um, you're doing a VA loan zero down, then you need to run. <laughs> I didn't even realize that people might think that that protects them. Yeah, no, if you don't pay your mortgage, they're going to take that house every single time. Yeah, it's a good idea to pay your mortgage. It's a if you very like to keep good your idea. House. Yeah, I support that decision. On time too, that helps. Okay, uh, back to David's comment about how he didn't have uh, the history to buy the house. So his he had to gift money to his wife. And he said, you said he has a very good CPA. Let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. Because I have seen in the Bigger Pockets forums where people say, hey, I had so many deductions on my taxes that now I don't qualify for a mortgage. And I've seen other people say, oh, a good lender will be able to see through that and see the underlying income. And that doesn't make sense to me, but I'm also not a lender, so I don't know. Yeah. But it, it it seems to me that if I say I made $12 in my taxes last year, you're going to see that and be like, oh, she made $12. Mm -hmm. Well, <clears throat> first I have to ask if any of your listeners work for the IRS. So I probably... Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's not dig into my specific return. Um, <laughs> um, no, 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 no. Dave, had more, Dave has like the, the most complicated tax returns that I've ever seen. He has like Schedule F income, which I've never seen before. Dave has income streams coming in from everywhere. So they probably just looked at his tax returns and said, I don't want to do that. Dave has a lot, <laughs> a lot of different streams. Um, probably not a good example because that doesn't apply to 90% of the people out there. And the people that it does apply to, they're typically more sophisticated enough to just go um, into a portfolio loan. So uh, let's keep it, I guess, to keep it more simple. Uh, what you're asking is, do they give you any money back, right? Like you have these deductions. Do they give any money back? Yes, they do. Um, for your rental income, like, you, you know, you have some of your deductions, but they understand that that some of that isn't your actual deductions. They do, we have a calculation 
Um, and it's and it's given by Fannie and Freddie. That's a it's basically a calculator, and they have guidelines for it. And say, hey, we can give you some of this money back. We can give you, you know, let's say fifty percent of your meals and expenses back. We can give you. So they will give you some back. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to qualify for a loan if you wrote off everything. Um, and they're going to, you know, they're going to give you back all of your deductions. There's a calculation for that, and it would be way too intricate to teach someone how to calculate income as a lender would be. Uh, it would take a lot more than the rest of the time that we have on this call, but there is a little, there, there is, there are some things that they can do to help you out, but. Okay. So it's not, it's not totally false. The information that they're giving. I think that, I mean, every loan is different. Every situation is different. There's no way that you can cover every single one. Maybe. Oh, let's have every single listener call in and you can give them a quote over and over. Yeah, Yeah, that'll be great. Um, Let's reiterate that I don't work for a mortgage company. Yeah. (laughs) No, but that's that's interesting that that is available because it doesn't make any sense. The government says that I can take depreciation on my rental properties. But then when I do that, that reduces my taxes. Now I can't Correct. get a yeah, loan. That's a really good example that, and the lender will give you some of that depreciation back okay. because that doesn't actually, that's not actually coming out of your bottom line. That's still money that's coming, you know, you're still getting money in your pocket, even if you're showing zero. So yeah, they'll give some of that depreciation back. That's a really good example of one okay. for a regular residential. The other loan. thing that's probably worth okay. clarifying when you're hearing that online is when you go online and, and I tell my story, right? Like, oh, well, I couldn't qualify for a mortgage because of my the way my income set up. So I had to gift money to my wife so she could get the mortgage. Well, that's because it was a residential primary residence mortgage. I have gotten a ton of loans, like four or five million dollars worth of loans over the last two years on commercial rental properties, investment loans, whatever. So you know, you see these battles going back and forth and somebody's like, well, I don't have any income that I show on my taxes and I qualified for a loan. Well, yeah, but if that's a portfolio lender or an investment loan or something, an investment yeah. banker is going to be able to be like, oh yeah, you've got this income coming in. Da, 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 da. Cool. We feel safe with this. Whereas a residential guy is going to be like, yep. like literally John and I were having the conversation and I'm like, dude, you lived with me. You've seen how much money I make. And he's like, I know, and I can see it, but it doesn't count because of this guideline. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. And that's <clears throat> something to take into consideration. Cause I see this a ton online. It used to drive me crazy um, as a lender <laughs> is you have a lot of people that will flaunt around their scenario. My lender did this. I was able to get this. Well, that's great, but they probably don't have the exact same scenario as you. Right? So I would see that a lot online where people would refinance primary residences. They would do a primary residence refi with a 40% loan to value. And they were bragging about their 2.875. And then someone was like, well, I just purchased an investment property with 15% down and I got a 5.25. Why are they so different? Well, because it's a completely different loan product and yours is a lot riskier. So it's something to understand that you really have to compare apples to apples if you're going to be looking at you know, you're going to be looking at someone else's scenario. Your best option is just not to compare other, you know, maybe use them as a baseline. But if you, if you really want to compare them, you have to call that person and you have to know all the guidelines and where the loan level pricing adjustments come from. So you really need to do a lot of homework if you're going to compare apples to apples. Saving for a down payment, a wedding, or just looking for extra money to invest? Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. 
Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost, so combined finances become a breeze. Customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. What if I told you that I, Mindy Jensen, the queen of budgeting, the personal finance fanatic, sometimes forgot to cancel my subscriptions? I know, it's horrible. $10 here, $15 there. My useless subscription bills could have taken my whole family out to dinner multiple times. Rocket Money can make all that subscription sadness suddenly vanish. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. You can see all your subscriptions in one place and cancel money-sucking subscriptions with a tap. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. That's rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. Rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. Listen up, business owners. Here's some quick math. Fewer costs equals more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Don't let rising costs sink your business's growth. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash bpmoney. That's netsuite.com slash bpmoney. 
netsuite.com slash bpmoney. I think the bottom line here is just don't try to get a loan in five minutes. Talk to your lenders, especially, oh, I'm thinking about buying a loan. Great. Call up a lender. Talk to them. Hey, this is my situation. Oh, okay. Well, these are the products available. Okay. Well, I'm trying to do this. Do you have anything else? I mean, don't call them five minutes before you need the loan done and ask them, you know, 500 different questions. You you have to give them time to do research and explain things and understand stuff. And I don't know, help me out here, John. No, that's a, that's a really good point. So, um, especially like if you're self-employed, it's a good idea. If you're, if you do plan ahead, um, and you're not like me and you plan ahead two years in advance, which is good on you if you do that. Um, but if you do that and you're saving up for a primary residence, you're self-employed, it might be a good idea to call your lender and say, Hey, I'm trying to buy a house in the next year or two. Um, this is my scenario now. Is there anything I could do better to set myself up for success? And they'll tell you. They'll tell you, hey, you know, they'll look at your tax returns. You want to show this much income next year. Um, they can't necessarily, you know, your income is what it is. So they can't tell you, hey, don't deduct this. Don't do this. That's that's illegal. Um, so <laughs> there's things you would definitely want to call your lender in advance and ask them and ask them those questions. What, I, what can I do to set myself up for success? Really, this this really applies for people that have income, which would be considered unstable. So anybody that's 1099, anybody that's self-employed, um, anybody that's part time. So if you're a lot of times like the weird ones are uh, like some of the teachers that work for different schools and they're part time with different positions and they're not full time altogether and they don't have two years like that's stable. Now, the people that are that are in the safe zone with residential mortgage loans are people that are full time W-2. And they've stayed in the same field for the last two years. You're the you have the most stable income that that's what a lender wants to see. Full time W two. Now, if you came out of you know college, you finished your degree. You don't need a two year history most most of the time. You you know your degree is will count some of your schooling. Will count some of that for, for some of that employment. So you can go straight from school into a full time W two job. And they a lot of times the lender will give you that that W two income right away. So that's something that people also don't understand. They're like, oh, I have to wait for my two years. Well, it depends what your history is. So it's always good to just ask. Don't take anyone else's word for it. Ask a couple of different lenders. You know, And when it, when you are asking, go back to the guidelines and say, is, hey, is that a guideline? Is that an overlay? That will help you out a lot. Um, does that answer your question? <laughs> yes. No, that's very helpful. Now, let's talk about that recent college graduate thing. So I mm-hmm. I just graduated from college. I have no work experience. How long do I have to work there before I can get a loan? So, I mean, if you're a full-time W-2, your degree is applicable to whatever field you're in. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you a day um, or even an offer letter, an offer letter, and you can close after one pay stub. That's really specific to the lender. My company was pretty lenient with that um, when I was lending. So it's something to ask. But a lot of times, you know, an offer letter. And I did, and I know that my company was more lenient because I had other people get turned down from other companies and, you know, my, my company was able to do it with just an offer letter and they would be able to close as soon as you get one pay stub. Just for I'm the record, because sure John's not going to dump it out there, uh, that company is Cross Country Mortgage. And I'm going to throw it out there because 
you just said my company like 10 times and Mindy's going to get blown up asking what company. So at least it's... Oh, I was just going to forward them all to my new contact there. <laughs> it's out in the ether. Um, oh, if we can name drop. Yes. She is way better than I was. <laughs> yes. Yes. So if you need a she, reference... Mindy said yes. Yeah, there was no hesitation. Well, she definitely is. <laughs> no, she... So I actually haven't done alone with her yet. Oh, you'll, you're in for a treat. She's yeah. awesome. I've been... Uh, transferring my clients to or referring my clients to my partner Libby um, who's wonderful if you need an agent in Colorado Libby's amazing um, but I love no. Libby yeah I got to work with her a couple of times she's awesome I love Libby so Libby is well uh, Jale is my new p- contact at uh, Cross Country Mortgage so yeah if you need somebody please email me Mindy at BiggerPockets.com and I will connect you they are licensed in all 50 states I can't guarantee that they will approve you for a loan but they Good will at disclaimer, least explain Mindy. to you <laughs> <laughs> they will at least explain to you why they can't approve you for the loan your credit score is 403 we can't give you a loan but let's do a credit simulator and send your credit and a rescore. I love that tip. Holy cow, that's a great tip. Yeah, she and we and you know this this company is really good at doing them efficiently. So something that came up yesterday. Oh, I'm sorry, David. I have been hogging John. You ans- ask him a question, then I have one more before. It's okay. I just had some some self interested uh, uh, questions, such as if we. Well, I guess my first would be: Do you have a favorite loan product? Ooh. As far as for what audience? Because that's really no. I'll just say that. Well, you're you're supposed to say VA loan so that I could lead into. Everybody thinks the VA loan's impossible to get approved for in this market. Yeah, I, I was hesitant to say that because not everyone is a vet is a veteran, and I don't want to give everyone FOMO. But you should join the military and serve your country, and then you get awesome benefits. <laughs> and if you're scared, don't be scared because you'll be okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, the VA loan is by far the best lending product. Obviously, you need to serve your country first in order to be, uh, in order to benefit from the VA loan. Um, but the VA loan is really awesome. It's a zero down loan product that has no mortgage insurance. It has the highest debt to income ratio um, as far as qualification. So you can get qualified. Um, I've seen loans go up to over 70% on debt to income ratio. That doesn't mean that you're going to get qualified, but that does mean let's stop for a second. And let me just actually talk about debt to income for two seconds, because I know we're running short on time and it's really important that people know this. So what your debt to income ratio is, is the, it's the income, it's the ratio for how much income you're bringing in versus how much debt you have. And that includes your housing payment. So for conventional loans, as of April 13th, 2022, I, at least as, as of, you know, when I get, when I was in loans, it was 50%. So 49.999. So as long as you're, you're making twice as much as the debt that you have, you're, you're good, right? You can qualify for a loan, assuming all of your other credit, good income, uh, good credit history, all, all of those things, some reserves, you can afford your down payment and closing costs. You'll be able to qualify for a loan. Uh, VA loans, are really awesome because they look at they look at your income different. They look at something called residual income. So basically, what they want to see is, hey, after your mortgage, after all of your, um, they do a small calculation for how many family members you have and all of your debt. How much income do you have left to pay for your groceries, to pay for, um, you know, your gas, blah blah blah. How much income do you have left? That's called your residual income. 
they qualify you based off of that, which is really awesome because it allows you to qualify for a lot higher of a purchase price than you would if you were going conventional um, or FHA and you go zero down. So um, Dave and I used to work with a ton of veterans, both being both being veterans ourselves. And I've seen people that are in the military making, you know, one hundred and ten thousand dollars a year get qualified for a two million dollar house. And yep. <laughs> and that they had some they had some income coming in from some of the additional units. They were house hacking. But that's the, you know, VA loans, are, that's the only product that you'd be able to do that. Um, I don't want to hit on that too much because not everyone else, not everyone's a veteran. But uh, if you want really good, a really good loan product, join the military and you can use yeah, a VA loan. A, that's my best advice for the, for the, for the, the podcast. The biggest, the biggest <laughs> thing we saw, right? It was one point, was it 1.93, zero down. Yeah. In, the exact uh, amount. Yeah. It was, it was almost $2 yeah, million. In, in LA in County. Exactly. duty in the military. Yeah, the, I don't qualify for joining the military anymore. I aged out. I more I more or less wanted to throw that question out there because for whatever reason, the VA loan has this stigma between agents and lenders. And you hear all the time that you're not oh, going to yeah. get an offer accepted with the VA loan because of XYZ. And I always tell people that if you're getting told that you can't get a VA loan in today's market because it's too hot or whatever the reason is, then either your agent or your lender or both or garbage, go somewhere else. They just don't understand it. I'm in this market right now as an agent, and I am going to tell you that your listing agent, the one who is advising the seller, is either in uninformed or misinformed about what it is to do a VA loan, yes. or they are um, adver- advising their, their clients. The clients are uninformed, misinformed. I mean, there are people mm-hmm. who think that the... The VA loan comes with massive headaches and hassles. Well, if you've got a house that's about to fall down, yes, the VA is not going to approve the property. The appraisal is going to be all messed up. But I mean, John was telling me one time, he's like, I was like, do they have to have a dishwasher? He's like, it has to have an oven. That's all it has to have. I'm like, really? That's all it has to have? And he's done three VA loans for me. He closed in 17 days on two of them and 21 days on the other one just because like the load of what he had that week, like couldn't do a 17 day or whatever. But I was like, 17 days, really? I even was talking to a fellow agent. I'm like, yeah, he says he can do a 17 day VA close. He's like, no way can he do a 17 day VA close. He's just saying that. I'm like, he's. And it was my first one with Sean. Hi, Sean. And he closed and I called up that agent. I'm like, he did it. He did it in 17 days. If you need a VA lender, call John because he's amazing. And you have to know how to work it. You can have a really terrible experience as a VA, uh, as a listing agent accepting a VA loan. There are no shortage of terrible VA lenders out there because they don't know what they're doing. They're doing it wrong. They don't understand how to like tweak the system. And I, I say that, I don't want to say that because it's not like you were yeah. doing anything illegal or immoral no. or wrong. You were working within the guidelines, but you figured out how to manipulate those guidelines so you could get it done fast. Yeah. If you need a VA loan and you're not using cross-country mortgage, you are doing it wrong. And it'd be, um, just so you're, so you're aware the entire, uh, when you go to any company and you hear a blanket, um, a blanket mortgage company, you have to understand that let's look at, um, we can use names, right? Company names, just sure. any company name. Okay, cool. Let's look at EXP, for example. You can't say that everyone, every real estate agent that works for EXP is a great real estate agent, 
right? You just can't say that. But there are some Correct. teams. Just like you can't say that every EXP agent is a bad agent. Right. A hundred percent. You cannot. You can't say that. Um, but there are some teams that are, you know, let's say with Keller Williams or EXP that have really dialed in systems. The platform, you know, the, the company provides the platform, but the teams inside have really dialed in systems. And it, it's up to that team. And that's why, you know, the loan officer is the face of it because they make, they are the ones that really structure that team, put that in place with the right processors, the right underwriters. Um, some of them have them in-house. Some of them have their own in-house processors that are directed specifically for their team. And they create a well-oiled machine to make the system flawless. So that is really what, when people are like, well, what makes a good loan officer? Oh, you know, who has the lowest rates? Okay, that's something that can help. But a lot of times that means that they can't afford to have the really good oiled, you know, the dialed in oiled machine that makes your, your loan flawless. And another thing to take into consideration is a good loan officer should be a really good salesperson because they should be assisting the agent on selling your loan, selling your deal. And so if a lot of people will go with, you know, the the company with the lowest rate and they are a call center lender, so the loan officer doesn't actually exist. It's just a call center rents, wash, and repeat. They really don't care about you. And no one's going to call the listing agent and give them any updates. Well, you have to remember, that's who's getting you the house. So if your loan officer is calling the listing agent and saying, hey, my client is super well qualified. I'm going to close this loan in 17 days. And if I'm late, I'm going to offer you a per diem. You're probably going to get the house, which matters a lot more than, to me, uh, matters a lot more than the interest rate if it's a, if it's a good deal. So I think a lot of, especially a lot of first-time homebuyers that are very scarce in their mindsets will go straight to, well, I just got to shop around. I got to get the lowest rate. And that's typically going to be with the companies, the biggest companies that have the lowest overhead because that's how companies work. They need to make their profit somewhere. So they have the lowest overhead, which means they have the worst service. Typically, I'll just say that as, as you know, that's what typically happens. Um, I'm not saying that the highest rates have the best service because that's definitely not true as well, but it's not the only thing that matters. So a good, a good loan officer should have a really dialed in team and you want to ask them about their systems. And they also should be able to help sell your, sell you as a client to the listing agent, if that makes any sense. So I just, I want to, I wanted to put that out there because a lot of people look for some of the wrong things because a mortgage is just a mortgage, right? It's just, uh, it's just financing. But to get into a transaction, that's a whole other story. There's another aspect to it. And there is a, a good bit of you know sales that goes into that. I'm glad you said that because that's what I was going to say is, is ultimately Mindy's right. It is the listing agent, which is why if your agent and lender can't sell the VA loan and can't articulate why things are misrepresentations or misunderstood and what the actual case is. I mean, John was literally guaranteeing per diem if he didn't close in X number of days. And I mean- uh, I don't want to mess mess up numbers, so I'm going to just say ballpark. I think John closed close to $20 million in mortgages last year that I sent him, and I don't think he – and he never he never paid the per diem. On, and so, like, it's, you know, it, it's all about having a team that actually knows what they're doing and specializes in something like that. Otherwise, it's like, yeah. I think it was around 20 from just from you that you sent over. Yeah, I wasn't trying to short, um, shortchange you. All right. Okay, we get it. Have you read this book, Ego is the Enemy? I was like, man, <laughs> got a lot of clients. Well, and 
one other thing I want to point out is the difference in rates is like an eighth of a point. It's not like you're quoting me 5% when everybody else is quoting me two and a quarter. Yeah, it's usually comparable with uh, with similar companies. So, you know, you go from company to company, it'll, it'll typically be pretty comparable. Quarter percent, um, you know, Three quarter, like it, I, I rarely see a one percent difference. That would be that would be pretty extreme. I rarely see a quarter percent difference. I mean, we're really talking about splitting hairs on these things. And some people will do that. Um, I, I can give an example on a property that I sold, and just kind of the mindset of a seller, which a lot of first time home buyers don't understand because they've never sold a house. But I just sold a house in Oceanside. It was an investment property. Um, I had. A, you know, a couple of different offers. Um, I didn't go with the highest one. I went with the one that I felt was going to close the best. And I knew that by lender reputation. And I actually, you know, have the benefit of having some, some background in lending. So I was able to look at their desktop underwriting approval and see that they had a lower debt to income ratio and higher reserves. Um, so I was able to, you know, look at that and really understand, okay, this is the, this loan is going to be the most likely to close. Now, Really, if if the they re- the listing agent receives five offers and one person calls them and says, "Hey, I'm going to close this deal. Watch me, and I'm going to give you a per diem if I'm late," <laughs> they're going to be like, "Okay, I like that person." They may not be the highest offer, so you could save ten thousand, twenty thousand dollars by going with you know a really good team just because they called and they sold they sold you as a client. So a lot of people miss that factor and they're worried about the eighth of a percent that saves them $20 a month when they could save $20,000 just by just by getting their offer accepted. John, I have a question for you about mortgage fraud. In hmm. most residential loans, it says that I, the borrower, must move into the property within 60 days. Yeah. That's not extendable. That's 60 days. That's like a law or a rule or something. I've never seen it longer than 60 days. But in one of my real estate Facebook groups yesterday, somebody was saying, oh, just write up a longer lease. And everybody was jumping on this person saying, no, that's mortgage fraud. It's mortgage fraud if you sign a document that says, I promise to move in within 60 days, and then you don't move in within 60 days and had no intention to move in within 60 days. Mm-hmm. I think it's different. Like I bought from David and then he wouldn't move out. That's different. I'm not talking about that where you're unable to move in because of circumstances outside your control. I'm talking about like going in there, but also, you know, rates are going up. I don't know if you know this. Um, rates are going up. They're five and a half that. today. And by the time this show comes out, who knows, maybe they'll be like 27%, but they're going up. So people are tempted to buy and just Mm -hmm. say they're going to live in the property, but then turn it into a rental. And that's mortgage fraud. I want to talk about that because there's this, I think a lot of people know this, but I also think there's a greater percentage of people who have no idea that this is actually a felony punishable by up to five years in prison. I mean, it's a big deal. And you have this mentality where like, if you don't know, you're like, well, what does it matter? I'm just lying to a bank. It's not like a real person. So I can get that. 30? Yeah, I I could be wrong here. It's like I said, I have uh, data dumped some of the stuff from when I was in the mortgage world, but uh, I believe it was uh, up to 30 years and a million dollar fine. So I could be wrong. Oh, that's even worse. It's not something to take lightly. And I have a really simple explanation for anyone that wants to play the line with mortgage fraud. It was my favorite line back when I was lending. Um, 
a lot of people will come to me and they'll give me hypotheticals. So what if I were to do this? What if I were to do this? There's a plenty of what ifs. Um, and especially with veterans, they were always, well, if you intend, quote unquote, to occupy the property and it, it would drive me crazy. So there's a simple answer to this. Can you explain what you're about to do to the FBI in court? If so, go ahead and try it. And if you're willing to risk the 30 years in prison or, you know, the million dollar fine, then do it. Why not? Right. <laughs> but the answer is typically it's not worth it for a 1%, 2%, even a 5% difference. So it, the, the real answer is, so a lot, a lot of people will ask the lender, um, you know, well, what about if I do this? Like, is that considered mortgage fraud? And the lender's not going to be the one, the loan officer, I should say, is not going to be the one that's going to be interrogating you in court. It's the FBI. So if you can explain it to them and you feel good about it and you're confident that no one's going to think that you're doing any sort of mortgage fraud at all, then fine. Then you're good. Okay, do it. Um, I've had people that, you know, because I've had some clients, as, especially in the military, they're like, well, I might get orders. I don't know, but I might get orders in the next six months to get somewhere else. There's something called getting histed, and it means you're going to be mandated. You're going to be told that you have to go somewhere else. It doesn't happen to everybody. It might happen. And I had clients that were like, I'm hesitant to buy a house because that could happen to me. And I can, I tell them, you're fine. You're, you don't, you're intending to live in the property and you really are. And as long as you don't get hissed, you're going to continue to live in the property. So you're fine. And then I've had other clients that have come to me and they, you know, plan on never moving in the property. That's mortgage fraud <laughs> or, you know, leasing it out for another six months. There's a, there's a, it's not black and white. It's, it's very obvious what's mortgage fraud and you know. And so if you can explain it to the FBI in court, then go ahead and do it. If not, maybe reconsider. Yeah. I mean, it's as simple as if you actually intended to live in the house and then something changes. Okay. But if you were planning on something changing before you, like before you got the loan and you knew. So an example that I've heard in my Facebook group where someone managed to get this okayed by their lender and they were like telling everyone it was a great strategy is this person had disability claim for back pain or or knee pain or whatever right and they bought a two-story house and then like two months later they're like oh my goodness stairs i can't do stairs i need to go into another house i can't occupy this house so they rented it and it's like okay well you have like documented history of that prior to getting the loan so if anyone wants to come after you it's going to be a pretty easy like well you knew that so so it's yeah. like, if you know that you're going to play this game, then you're in the wrong. And if you know that you're going to live in the house and then something changes, anything changes. I mean, there's all kinds of justifiable reasons, assuming that you intended right. to live in the house, then you're good. It's easy. And the risk is not worth the reward at all. Yeah. And one more thing to add on that is people do get caught. Thank you. Like on this team, people get caught and people, I, I've, I've seen it where people go to prison. So- don't think that you won't get caught because you could for sure. Thank you. And for also stop that. being cheap. Like you're, you, you all, th there's, this kind of goes into another aspect of it, but you are trying to set yourself up for success as a, as a business owner or as um, someone that's trying to gain financial independence. If you're listening to this podcast, do you think you're stepping in the right direction by committing fraud over a 1% interest rate, 2%, even 5%? No. Follow the rules, play the game, and you can make a ton of money. 
Okay, this is the second time that you've capped it at 5%. I'm capping it at a billion percent. I'm infinite percent. (laughs) 100,000%. It doesn't matter the percentage. Do you know what it's like to be in jail? I don't, and I never want to find out. I bet it sucks. Yeah, it doesn't sound fun. You don't get to do all the things. Yeah, and then you're a felon for the rest of your life. So that sounds like terrible. But I'm really glad that you brought up that people get caught because that's another thing. You're like, oh, what are they going to do? Drive past the house? Uh, I don't know how they catch you, but they will catch you. Not all the There's time. There's a lot of ways no. they can catch you. You think that they don't have any sort of systems in place that they can catch you committing mortgage? So wait, the well, FBI can't see can... what address you filed on your tax returns? Oh, hang on. <laughs> right? You said this was a primary residence, but you don't live there. Hmm. Odd. And when you have a mortgage of 3%, 2%, you know, way back five minutes ago when they were that low, and then it changes, maybe that gives the lender more incentive to see if that's really your primary residence. I don't know. I'm not a lender. I just know that it's mortgage fraud and it's not worth it. And I'm glad you addressed that. Thank you very much. Yeah. And again, don't miss payments because if you want to see if a lender is going to drive by your house, just give them a reason to. Okay. John, is there anything else that we should ask you before we let you go from this time? This was so much fun. I'm definitely going to have you back on the show. No, I think I'm, I think. I mean, if there's any other questions that you guys have, then I'd love to answer them. I don't think I think that it's impossible to go over every single aspect of lending in 60 minutes. It's very it's a it's a very intricate business. And I would just say that when you're when you're reaching out, you can trust but verify. But if you really are are interested, you can look at guidelines. So people don't do that enough. They're like, well, my lender told me this. Well, my lender told me this. Why don't you just Google the guidelines and you can find out for yourself and then you'll be a lot more resourceful as a person. So I think that's the best advice that I could give anyone that's struggling with getting qualified for a loan. And then if you're a little bit um, more on the advanced side where you, you know, you've already owned a couple of houses, then maybe start looking at portfolio loans where they aren't, they aren't, you know, lending against your personal credit. You're using your personal financial statements. They're not on your credit report. They're not hurting your debt to income ratio. And you could save your debt to income for a primary residence with the lower interest rate. Um, I think a lot of people, that's something that seems to be missing in the financial space, or at least of what I'm seeing around bigger pockets is people don't understand the benefits of of going into the commercial world once they have a couple of properties under their belt. Um, you know, the the first time definitely take advantage of those of those agency backed loans, but there's more products out there as well. Okay, so the end of the show, we ask uh, two. We're going to ask two questions today. What's your favorite joke to tell at parties, and where can people find out more about you? All right. So, what did one snowman say to the other snowman, Mindy and David? What smells like carrots. <laughs> Okay. And where can people find out more about you? Um, just general information. You can follow me on Instagram. My Instagram is John Lalonde 22. That's J O N L A L L A N D E. And the numbers two, two. And then if you have any lending specific questions, you could always reach out to my old partner, Jale goes and you could reach her at Jale at the Al said team.com. That's a L S E D T E A M.com. And that's Jale J A L E. 
great. And we will put all of these in our show notes, which can be found at biggerpockets.com slash money show 303. John, this was super fun. You're so good at this. I can't believe you've never done a podcast before, except David's, which doesn't count. No, it doesn't count. (laughs) (laughs) This is fantastic. I'm so glad I finally got you on the show. This is super helpful. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you. Thank you, Mindy and David. I appreciate both of you. Okay, that was John Lalonde. I don't think I ever said thank you, David, for introducing me to John in the first place. The whole reason that I know him is because of you. My client, Sean, reached out to me and said, I'm having some troubles with a VA loan. And I'm like, I know a guy. Let me call him up. David, do you know any VA lenders? And you're like, John Lalonde. So I reached out to him and he's like, I can close super quick. I'm like, well, we'll see. I know the VA loan's really tough. And then he did. And now, well, and then he was my go-to guy for the longest time until he left me. But he was a wealth of information. That whole recasting your loan or rescoring, I'm sorry, rescoring your credit score, that was really great information. I'm super excited for that and for just all the stuff he shared today. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, he's a phenomenal human being and did not disappoint on the show. And yeah, you actually threw enough business his way that he had to get licensed in Colorado just to keep up with it all. He wasn't at the time. <laughs> and his company was like, uh, you just need to get a license there because this is a lot. <laughs> When you can do what he could do, I'm not shopping around. I don't need to. He had the same or so close it didn't matter rates, great closing costs, and he could close in 17 days. I have other lenders that are like, "Mm, I might be able to close in 30, 35 days. I'm like, might? Yeah. This I'm competing with people who can close in 20 days. I need to close faster than that. And then John's like... This week, I can't close in 15. It's going to have to be 17. I'm like, okay. As we, <laughs> That's okay, too. As we say all the time, right? Real estate's a people game. It is. You really need to know somebody who can get you get the deals done. And he could get the deals done. It was awesome. From episode 303 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, he is David Perret from the Military Millionaire Group. And I am Mindy Jensen saying, don't open up any new credit cards when you're about to buy a house. Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions.